Bibles, go to First Kings eleven. Take this microphone back. First Kings eleven, and uh, I appreciate everybody suffering through that with me. Uh, it did not go as I practiced it. I'll tell you what, it's it sure is different when you get up in front of a lot of people. <laughs> but prayerfully, the first time jitters will go away, and next time it'll be bearable and tolerable. So thank you for your patience with that. First Kings chapter 11. Uh, over the last couple weeks, we've been just kind of examining the, the, the time where Solomon turned his heart away from God. And we've, we've seen the consequences that follow. And as I've mentioned many times before, just as sin always does, it brought on great consequences for Solomon. And sin... It brings consequences for all of us today. Uh, for the believer, if we seek fulfillment in sin, we know it will only bring emptiness. Chasing after worldliness, it really is a pointless hunt. There's no freedom that is found in sin. There's only bondage. And despite what the world may want you to believe, despite the, uh, what Satan may want you to believe, there is really, in the end, there's no fun in sin. There's no freedom in sin. I think Mike mentioned it uh, this morning about so often we see how people say, well, you know, if we just go out and do whatever we want and we, we live however we want, well, we'll have freedom. No, no, in that is actually bondage. Whenever we go outside of God's plan and outside of God's word and outside of God's will, we do not have true freedom. We only have a bondage. There is no joy in living your own way, only misery. And when a believer lives in sin... If you're a believer, chastisement will come and it will follow you just as the rod of correction would follow Solomon as we have seen over the last couple weeks. And for every man, sin brings eternal death. Sin brings eternal separation from God. And like we talked about last week, only Jesus Christ can bring reconciliation. Only Jesus Christ can bring forgiveness. He is the one that can fix our brokenness. And we've seen the consequences that Solomon had to face up to this point. They include misery, emptiness, sorrow. We've seen how God, last week we saw how God would split these 12 tribes. You remember into a northern and southern kingdom and how the line of David would only rule over two tribes. It would be Judah and then that smaller tribe, Benjamin. And this consequence would come after Solomon's reign and it would plague his son Rehoboam. So the reason for this is, the reason that Solomon was not going to get this punishment that his son would, is because remember, God promised David that he would have mercy on Solomon. He promised him that he would not take the kingdom away from him, so God was keeping his promise. And it really is a comfort to know that God keeps his promises, isn't it? No matter what happens, no matter what we do, no matter how badly we fail, no matter how badly we sin or how far we get away from God, He still keeps His promises. And that's what we see with Solomon. So tonight, we're going to see even more repercussions for Solomon's idolatry and turning his heart from God. And what we're going to see tonight is that Solomon would have adversaries both from within and from without. So, we're going to read 1 Kings chapter 11. Look at verse 14 where we're going to start. We're going to read down to 26. And I hope I don't butcher these names. Because some of these names are like, wow, okay. 
And I tried to, you know, get the pronunciations down, but there's a lot, okay? So look at verse 14. It says, And the Lord stirred up an adversary unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was of the king's seed in Edom. For it came to pass, when David was in Edom, and Joab, the captain of the host, was gone up to bury the slain, after he had smitten every male in Edom, for six months did Joab remain there with all Israel, until he had cut off every male in Edom. That Hadad fled, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, to go into Egypt, Hadad being yet a little child. And they arose out of Midian, and came to Paran, and they took men with them out of Paran, and they came to Egypt unto, Pharaoh's, uh, unto Pharaoh king of Egypt, which gave him an house, and appointed him victuals, and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him to wife, the sister of his own wife, the sister of Tapnes the queen. And the sister of Tapnes bare uh, him Jenubath his son, whom Tapnes weaned in Pharaoh's house, and Jenubath was Pharaoh's, in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. And when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab the captain of the host was dead. Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go into mine own country. Then Pharaoh said unto him, But what hast thou lacked with me, that, behold, thou seekest to go to thine own country? And he answered, Nothing. Howbeit, let me go in any wise. And God stirred him up another adversary, Rezon, the son of uh, Eliada, which fled from his lord Hadazir, king of Zopah. And he gathered men unto him, and became captain over a band when David slew them, uh, when David slew them of Zobah, and they went to Damascus and dwelt therein and reigned in Damascus. And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon. Beside the mischief that Hadad did, he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. And Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, an Ephraite of Zerida, Solomon's servant, whose mother was Zeruah, a widow's woman, even he lifted up his hand against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing the young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. I thank you so much that there is such great power in the word. And I thank you, Lord, that we can read and, and study and just learn even about the Old Testament. God, there's so many wonderful things that we can find uh, in this book. And I thank you for what you've given to us and shown us already as we've done this verse-by-verse -verse series in First Kings. I pray that this evening you will help us yet again as we see the, the truth uh, that sin only brings bondage and emptiness and pain. I pray that you will help us to flee from sin, to no longer pursue sin, but rather to pursue Christ. We thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do tonight. I pray that you'll just be with me, help me to say exactly what you want me to say, and nothing more, nothing less. In Jesus' name, amen. Prior to Solomon's idolatry and living in sin, remember, his reign was a reign of peace, right? He had no adversaries. He had no enemies that were trying to harm him. And remember, the Bible tells us that he had complete rest. And this peace and this rest, it only came from God. 
he didn't have this peace and this rest and, and nobody in opposition to him because of his might or because of his power or because of his personality, but rather because in God's provision, he protected him with his hands. It was only because of God. Let's go back to 1 Kings chapter 4. And we'll see this truth. 1 Kings chapter 4, look at verse 24. First Kings 4, verse 24. It says, in verse 24, For he had dominion, speaking of Solomon, For he had dominion over all the region on this side of the river, from Tisva even to Azza, over all the kings on the side of the river. And look what it says, And he had peace on all sides round about him. And Judah and Israel dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree, from Dan even to Beersheba, all the days of Solomon. Now, of course, this is talking about before what we're, where we are in 1 Kings, but he's saying, he, we're told here that he had peace with everyone. Every king was at peace with him, and in fact, not only were they at peace with him, they all wanted to make sure that they were at peace with him. Because if they weren't, they knew they had some bad stuff coming, toward, coming for him. That's why all these kings and these queens came to him, and they would give him uh, gold and silver and all these things. And in verse 25, we see, look again, it says, and I've talked about this before, it says that they dwelt safely, every man under his vine and under his fig tree. That just simply is a proverbial image of peace and rest. And you just imagine, you know, you're just, you're sitting under a tree, maybe with a drink beside you. You have nothing to worry about. Like, you're just at complete peace. That's what was happening in Israel. They were at complete peace. They didn't have anything to worry about. There was no enemy that was going to come attack them. Look at 1 Kings chapter 5. And look at verse, four, uh, verse 1, 1 Kings chapter 5. It says in 1 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, it says, And you remember Hiram, and king, uh, and Hiram, king of Tyre, uh, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, and Hiram was ever a lover of David. And Solomon sent to Hiram, saying, Thou knowest how that David, my father, could not build an house unto the name of the Lord his God for the wars which were about him on every side until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. But now the Lord my God hath given me rest on every side so that there is neither adversary nor evil occurring. In this time, Solomon, as we see here, Solomon acknowledged that peace and rest, it came from God. He, he said that no adversary, no enemy, no evil occurrence, nobody was bothering me, nobody is interfering with me, uh, they are all in subjection to me. But now, due to his evil ways, he would have three adversaries rise up against him. And God was the one. Remember, God was the one that, that gave Solomon peace. But now because of Solomon's sin, God would be the one that would raise up these adversaries against Solomon. Let's go ahead a little bit again to our text, 1 Kings 11. And look at verse 14. We're going to see the adversaries that God raised up against Solomon. Look at verse 14, 1 Kings 11. It says in verse 14, And the Lord, the Lord stirred up an adversary, Unto Solomon, Hadad the Edomite, 
he was of the king's seed in Edom. Now, we see here very clearly, God was the one that raised up and that stirred up this adversary to go against Solomon. Remember, this king of peace that had rest and had peace on every side, he would have this luxury no longer. The first adversary here that we see would be a king named Hadad, and he was an Edomite. And we know from that Solomon's father David, he was a man of war. And we just read that in 1 Kings chapter 5. Uh, he, he said that because he had so many wars, because he had so much blood on his hands, that he was not able to build the temple of God. And the story of Hadad is a story of David's dominance of war. Uh, from a child, Hadad survived an event of David's aggression. And as a little child, he likely very much resented David and the entire nation of Israel because of what he went through. Look at verse 15. For it came to pass when David was in Edom, and Joab the captain of the host was gone up to bury the slain, after he had smitten every male in Edom for six months, did Joab remain there with all Israel until he had cut off every male in Edom. That Hadad fled, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants being with him, to go into Egypt, Hadad being yet a little child. So let's just stop here for a moment and think about this, okay? David's military commander at this time, Joab, he killed every male in Edom. But Hadad, he managed as a little child to run. He managed as a little child to flee from this. He got away and he would go to Egypt and he would get in Pharaoh's good graces. He would find favor with the Pharaoh. Look at verse 18. And they arose out of Midian and came to Paran. And they took men with them out of Paran. And they came to Egypt unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, which gave him an house and appointed him victuals and gave him lands. Look at verse 19. And Hadad found great favor on the side of Pharaoh, so that he gave him to wife, the sister of his own wife, the sister of Taphnes, a queen. And the sister of Taphnes bare him Jenubath, his son, whom Taphnes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Jenubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So we see here that Hadad had it good. He was really, he had to flee because of everything that was going on in his home country. And he, he, had, he went to Pharaoh and he gave him a house. He gave him food. He gave him a wife. He gave him everything that you could ask for. He gave him land. So he had it good. However, when Hadad found out that David had died, when he found out that Joab was dead, he desired to go back to his home country because he was of a royal line, a royal descendant. And this would be the beginning of his revolt against Israel. Look at verse 21. And when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab the captain of the host was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go to mine own country. And then Pharaoh said unto him, But what hast thou lacked with me? That behold, thou seekest to go to thine own country. And he answered nothing. Howbeit, let me go in any wise. So just as Moses had done prior, uh, when he told Pharaoh to let the Israelites go, we see here that Hadad asked Pharaoh to let him go from Egypt. He wanted to go back to where he came from. And again, Hadad was in line to be the king, so he desired to return. Power was at stake here. And we know from this that Pharaoh did not allow him to lack anything. But of course, power and riches in the kingdom was greater than being in the position that he was with Pharaoh. And as he returned, just imagine, just imagine 
how much pain there would be. Imagine the, the hatred and the resentment that he would have, that Hadad would have towards the Israelites for killing many men and for the dominion of their land that happened years earlier. I mean, just consider, maybe uh, some of you can remember uh, back when 9-11 happened, remember the anger that maybe you had as a result of those terrorists for killing those 3,000 people. You can probably uh, agree that this is probably how Hadad felt because they attacked his countrymen. They took over his country. So this would, of course, cause Hadad to have a great desire for revenge. And we're not told how Hadad bothered Solomon or how he was an adversary to Solomon, but he did return and he did become king and he was now able to go against Solomon and cause him problems because God had taken down that hedge of protection that he had once allowed Solomon to have. He caused it to depart and now the the king Hadad, he would cause Solomon issues and he would disrupt his peace. He would disrupt the rest that he had. Now, Adam was a nation that was southwest of Solomon and where he reigned. However, there was another adversary that would come from the northeast of Israel. So he would be, this would cause Solomon to be harassed both from the north and the south. So let's look at 1 Kings 11, look at verse 23. It says in verse 23, And God stirred him up another adversary, Rezon, the son of of Eliada, which fled from his lord, Hadezer, king of Zobah. And he gathered men unto him and became captain over a band when David slew them of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt therein and reigned in Damascus. And he was an adversary to Israel all the days. And Solomon, beside the mischief that Hadad did, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. Now, <clears throat> Rezon, this man... He was another person that suffered due to David's warpath. The Bible gives us a picture of what this war looked like, and it's pretty devastating what happened. We'll go ahead and look. Uh, go to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 8. It tells us, it just gives, a good, uh, it gives us a picture of this war and what happened. And we can see why Rezan would be uh, so bothered and so upset and why he would abhor Israel. Look at verse 3 of 2 Samuel chapter 8. <clears throat> it says in verse 3, it says, David smote Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates. And David took from him a thousand chariots and seven hundred horsemen and twenty thousand footmen. And David hoed all the chariots' horses, but reserved of them for 100 chariots. And look what this says. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to succor Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David slew of the Syrians two and 20,000 men. So David, he had 22,000 men killed. And he captured many slaves as he took over Zobah. So Rezan, like Hadad, fled from this. And, and, and this led him to recruit a group of men that would serve, the Bible says, a band. And this would be a band of outlaws and a band of raiders. And Rezin was the leader of this group and he established many strongholds in Damascus. So again, just as Sadat, due to the trauma and the pain that came with being forced out of his country and seeing many people around him killed, Rezin 
hated Israel with a passion. Look again at 1 Kings chapter 11. Look at verse 25. We just read it, but I want, you to, I want to point this out. Look at verse 25. It says in verse 25, And he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon beside the mischief that Hadad did. And look what it says. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. This word abhorred, it means that Rezin felt a loathing, a sickening dread for Israel. He absolutely despised Israel to the point that thinking of that made him sick. I mean, maybe you've been there before where you, you've seen something or you've heard of something or you thought about something and just the thought of it made you sick. Well, that's what happened here with Rezin. He just, he could not, he could not even think about it without uh, having a loathing and sickening dread and just a hatred for this country. So, Rezin too would harass Solomon, the remaining days that he had left his king, he would be a problem. He would be an adversary that God raised up against Solomon. So Solomon, we see here that he had two adversaries without, but he would also have an adversary from within. He had a lack of peace with surrounding countries, with those that were on the outside, and he would have a lack of peace with his own country and his own kingdom. Let's look at 1 Kings chapter 11. Look at verse 11. We looked at this last week, but I didn't take note of this. Because I wasn't going to go there at this time. But look what it says in verse 11. Wherefore, the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servants. Now, because of Solomon's sin, God told him that he was going to rip the kingdom from his family. He was going to give it to one of his servants. And this servant was, of course, somebody that was within his own kingdom. And this servant would be none other than a man named Jeroboam. Look at verse 26, 1 Kings 11. It says, And Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, an Ephrathite of Zerida, Solomon's servant, whose mother was named Zeruah, a widow woman, even he lifted up his hands against the king. And this was the cause that he lifted up his hand against the king. Solomon built Milo and repaired the breaches of the city of David, his father. And the man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing a young man that he was industrious, he made him ruler over all the charge of the house of Joseph. So Jeroboam, here he is. He's the third adversary that God specifically raised up against Solomon due to his idolatry. Due to him turning his heart away from God. Now, the Bible does not explicitly tell us why this building project in, in Milo caused such dissension and such anger on the part of Jeroboam. But Jewish tradition says that he opposed the oppressive use of forced labor in these building projects. And since he was appointed as an officer over the labor force, this tradition does make sense. But we don't know for sure. But regardless, God caused Jeroboam to be at odds with Solomon. And after Solomon's death, he would be the one that would be the king over the northern tribes. And uh, we're, we're going to see that in time. But like many kings, Jeroboam was a man of valor. He was a brave man. He was a mighty man. He was a respected man. He was feared. He was industrious, as the, this passage tells us. And he had some power within the kingdom. And eventually, we're going to see later on, that Solomon would try to kill him because he knew what was coming. So we see here, again, a disruption of peace. We see 
a lack of peace in the kingdom of Solomon because of his sin. And we see in all of this that while Solomon's heart was in tune with God, while he was, uh, had his heart turned towards God, he had peace. But when he turned his heart away from God, when he chased after idols, peace departed. And God raised up these three adversaries. Solomon was once a king that reigned with peace due to his obedience. But his sin and his disobedience caused the peace to go away. Now our world, if you were to ask the majority of people in our world what they desire, a lot of people say, I want peace. I want, I want world peace. I want to live a peaceful life. I want to have peace of mind. I want to have a, 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 a have, my, have peace concerning my future. Nobody wants to live an unpeaceful life. Nobody wants to live an unsettled life. Nobody wants to live their life in uncertainty and questioning everything and anxious about the future and anxious about what's to come and wondering what's around every corner. We all desire to live with peace. But here's the thing. Christians are truly the only ones that can have genuine and real peace. You know that even in the midst of turmoil and sin and suffering and persecution and trials, peace is available to all that call upon the name of the Lord for salvation. We all have this available to us. We all have that which uh, those that are unsaved do not have. Isaiah chapter 48 verse 22 says that there is no peace, saith the Lord, unto the wicked. And really, you know why? While, while many people, the, the richest person on earth, while they may have everything they could ever physically want, they may have the nicest home and multiple homes, the nicest vehicle and the seemingly best physical life that they could ask for, the best friends and, and the popularity and the fame, while they may have all of that, if they don't have God, there is no peace. Because if you don't have God, if you are without God, then you are a child of wrath. If you are not a child of God, you cannot have peace because you are not at peace with God. You're at odds with Him. Without God, there's no true peace. If you seek fulfillment in the next and the best physical thing, I, I'm telling you, the chase never stops. It's a never-ending cycle of temporary happiness but lasting emptiness. So to be a man or a woman that chases after the things of the flesh and neglects the things of God, it is to have a lack of genuine peace. To be a lost soul that's constantly chasing after the good life without God is to chase after something that is impossible to catch. True peace never comes to those without God, and true peace only comes from God. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You get all the, a lot of people, unfortunately, in our world today, even in our own community, they're, they're chasing after peace. That's why people are doing drugs. That's why people are uh, they're, they're always seeking uh, fulfillment in the bottle. And they're getting drunk. That's why uh, people are constantly just chasing after things because they want peace. They want fulfillment. But again, they're, they're searching for it apart from God. Look at Romans chapter 6. Or sorry, Romans chapter 8, verse 6. The Bible tells us, To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because a carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, 
neither indeed can be. What is this telling us? It's telling us that the, the person that is fleshly minded is a person without God and therefore they are without peace. The person with their mind set on the things of the flesh are spiritually dead and they are without hope. But those that are spiritually minded, they have hope and they have peace. And those that are carnally minded, they are at odds with God. They are enemies of God. They are, again, the children of wrath. Their father is the devil. But those that are spiritually minded, they are reconciled to God. They have eternal forgiveness, which brings us eternal peace. Now, as I said this morning, we don't get this peace by going to church to make God happy. We don't get this peace by uh, doing some charitable work or putting money in the offering plate. We only have this peace through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We do not get into the family of God by doing some good deed. We only have peace with God through the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus Christ. We only have forgiveness from God and peace with God by trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, look at verse 13. Now I'm going through this because there very well could be somebody in our midst this morning or this afternoon that does not have peace. You're you're at odds with God. You don't have the peace of God that passes all understanding. So look at Colossians chapter 1 verse 13. And I'll just expound on this as I go. And this is speaking of Christ. Look what it says in verse 13. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of Of his dear son. Jesus Christ delivers us from the power of darkness. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption through his blood. Even the forgiveness of sin. Who is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created. That are in heaven and that are in earth. Invisible uh, visible and invisible. Whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities. Or powers and all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And look at what it says in verse 20. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you, that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. I mean, listen, you think of the, the event of the cross. You think of Christ being whipped, brutally beaten, his beard ripped out of him, the crown of thorns jammed on his head, being nailed to that, that terrible and that cruel and that rugged cross, and you see that, and you're like, man, that's not a very peaceful event. That's a brutal thing. And you think about how the, the wrath of God was placed on Jesus Christ to pay the penalty for our sins. It was not a peaceful thing. And yet, it brings us peace with God. It brings us hope. It brings us joy. It brings us eternal life. And we can only have true and lasting peace with God that brings us eternal forgiveness if we would just trust in Christ alone for salvation. Stop trying to do it on your own. Stop trying to be a good person. 
to find favor with God because all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. It is only through Jesus Christ. Thomas Watson, Puritan, once said that God pours the golden oil of peace into broken hearts. Hey, you might be here tonight and you feel broken. You feel rejected. You feel like you can't do anything right. Run to God. Run to God. He can restore you. So tonight, consider this. Has God brought peace into your life? Have you trusted in Christ for salvation and experienced the peace of God that passes all understanding? Have you fallen on the grace of God and been forgiven of your sins? Have you forsaken the idea of doing good works in order to please God? And have you just decided, I'm going to trust in the blood of Christ for forgiveness? We know that He is wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and He is the Prince of Peace. He brings us peace with God. However, the Christian's peace with God, and I want you to understand this, the Christian's peace with God in regards to our eternal destination and our home being forever settled in heaven, I want you to know that will never change. If you have trusted in Christ, then you can know that you're forever secure. We believe in eternal security around here, right? We, we, we know that it has nothing to do with us. When, when you're saved, you're always saved. So if you're saved, you have forever got this peace with God. And that will never change. But when we live in sin, peace does get disrupted, just as it did with Solomon. With Solomon, we see a man that loved God. We see a man that began his reign seeking to obey God. We see a man that went to great lengths to please him, as I've talked about many times. But in that time, we know that God promised great peace, God delivered. But once Solomon turned his heart from God, he turned his heart from the God of peace, peace departed from his life, and God raised these adversaries to torment him. And likewise, when a child of God goes against the will of God, when a child of God goes against the word of God, when a child of God goes against the plan of God, a lack of peace will follow. When one goes outside of the boundaries that, that God has put in place, disharmony soon will come. The Bible has given us countless examples of people that go against his will and go against his word and, and they lack peace as a result. S some here today, you may be here and your home is, is, is not very unified. You, you maybe have a lack of peace at home. Well, it could be that it's because you're not following the word of God. It could be because you're not following the will of God. But the Bible gives us many uh, examples. And while disobedience to God, it may promise pleasure and joy and fun, it only brings us pain, emptiness, and grief. And I want to just give you some examples that the Bible gives us, some well-known ones. Think of Jonah. When he ran from God, instead of going to Nineveh, what happened? A terrible storm came. You think it was peaceful during that time? No, it wasn't peaceful at all. It was a terrible storm. They throw him out and he was swallowed by that great fish. He had no peace. Think of David. Of course, we know the, the main things that he did wrong. His sin was numbering the people and, and taking Bathsheba, killing Uriah. You know what? That brought on a lack of peace. That brought on great punishment and the lack of peace caused David to cry out in Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
Cast me all away from thy presence. I think of Cain when he went against God in anger and he killed his brother. This would cause a great lack of peace because it would cause Cain to be what the Bible describes as a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth for the remainder of his days. He had a lack of peace. I think of the Israelites, uh, how their disobedience caused a lack of peace for 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness. They were not obedient to God. And as a result, they had a lack of peace. Listen, if we desire peace, we must be continually pursuing after Christ, and we must mortify our sin, not coddle it. We can't coddle our sin. We cannot feed our sin. I'll tell you what, that's the easy thing to do, isn't it? Hey, you think of the sin that you struggle with right now? Think of it. You keep feeding that sin. It's the easy thing to do, but it's not going to lead you to any good place. It's going to lead you to a dark place. Let's go to Colossians chapter 3. You should be in Colossians already. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. It says in Colossians 3, verse 1. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And look at this, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. And that right there will help us solve a lot of problems, <laughs> wouldn't it? Instead of being just, just fleshly minded and earthly minded, if we would just fix our attention on Jesus Christ. If we would just fix our attention on the things of God. Look at verse 3. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear... Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And this is the key right here I want to look at. Verse 5. Mortify therefore your members, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil, conspicuousness, and covetousness, which is idolatry, which we are seeing with Solomon. That word mortify, it means to put them to death. Put it to death. Adam Clark said that this uh, a theologian, Adam Clark, he said this, we put to death in the sense of denying these things and considering them dead to us and, dead, and us dead to them. He said to gratify any sensual appetite is to give it the very food and nourishment by which it lives, thrives, and is active. Listen, we must not feed our flesh. We have to deny it. We can't feed it. We cannot uh, allow it to have life. We are dead to sin. We must mortify it. Look at verse 6. I'm going somewhere with this. This is talking, this is talking about mortifying our members, killing our sin. Look at what it says in verse 6. For which things sake the children of wrath, uh, the, the, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in which ye also walked sometime, when you lived in them, but now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Let me just stop right there and ask you this. Every day, do you put on the new man? You've been made a new creature in Christ. If you've trusted Christ for salvation, are you putting on the new man? Are you mortifying your sin? And look at verse 13, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. 
And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfect, uh, perfectness. Now, let me just stop here and say, we see that we're being told, Paul's telling all, all, all these things, okay, what are we going to do? How do we mortify our flesh? How do we mortify our members? How do we stop ourselves from uh, feeding our sin? And he's giving us all these things that we need to do. He, he says, do not uh, have anger or wrath or malice or blasphemy or filthy communication. Do not lie one to another. Forgive one another. And by the way, if you are holding bitterness and you're not forgiving somebody, you're living in sin. Let me just say that. And if we do these things, if we mortify our members, if we put our sin to death, here's the thing. We will have peace. Look at verse 15. It says this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Hey, look, we must not fulfill the lust of the flesh because in that there is no peace. It is only when God rules our hearts, when we are pursuing Christ, that his peace will rule our hearts. And if our heart is ruled by sin, there will be no peace. So we must mortify our sin. And we do this by following after the spirit of God, by pursuing the spirit of God. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. <clears throat> Galatians chapter 5, look at verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. It says, this I say then, look what it says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. So only righteous living, only pursuing holiness and living for God, it will give us peace. Only walking in the Spirit of God. And look, if we are living in sin, and we're chasing after sin, then we will not have peace. It is only when we make war with sin, and we walk in the Spirit, even though it goes contrary to our flesh, it is only then that we can have peace. It's kind of a, seems like an oxymoron. In order to have peace, we have to make war with sin, right? But Jesus Christ, he helps us. He gives us the victory. So consider tonight, are you continually through the power of God's Holy Spirit warring against your sin, or are you instead surrendering the white flag to it? Again, it's easier to just surrender to it. It's easier just to give yourself up to it. But if we live in sin and we do not mortify it and strive to live with a heart lined up with God, no good thing will come from it. Only shame and emptiness and death. Mike mentioned the verse, Romans 6.21 this morning. It says, What fruit had ye then in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? Speaking of sinful things, he says, For the end of those things is death. The fruit of sin, the result of sin, it's rotten. It's corrupt. There's no good thing from it. So this, this evening... Christian, what sin is bringing a lack of peace in your life? Is there sin that is disrupting your walk with God? What sin must you mortify? What sin must you stop feeding and instead deny it? What sin must you avoid so that the peace of God can come back in your life? I mean, again, just consider the lack of peace that Solomon had because he was chasing after idolatry. And I think 
for the most part, most sins come back to idolatry. They really do. A lot of them do. Whether it's the idol of self, the idol of pleasure, the idol of fun or money. And a lot of times, we chase after idolatry constantly. But do not believe the lies of Satan. That sin brings satisfaction. In every point of history, it's only brought about corruption and pain. And listen, it always will. We see this with Solomon. We see this with the Israelites. We see this with Jonah. Again, a lack of peace comes when we decide to pursue sin. But instead, we need to pursue Christ. Instead, pursue holiness and forsake our sin. Mortify our sin. If you want peace, then chase after God. Don't chase after sin. Don't chase after idols. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.